Jesus has risen, and this morning is sweet. <laughs> His life is victorious. It's sweet and victorious because we've experienced over the course of this week the contours of, of the Passion Week. We've, we've gathered here to, to remember Jesus' betrayal, his arrest. We've, we've seen him on the cross bearing the wrath that was meant for us. And now, this morning, we celebrate the fact that death could not contain him. Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of that, you and I, we have the blessing and the joy of walking in newness of life. This is where the Word is going to take us this morning. We're going to look to Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. I invite you to join me there as together we look to the inerrant and infallible Word of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. It is a word of victory. It is a word meant for us to show us Jesus. And to draw us into the new life that we have in him. And so would you grant us the guiding, illumining, power of your spirit draw us into the truth of Jesus Christ and our invitation to relationship with him in Christ's name we pray amen so we all have these pivotal moments in life a pivotal moment by definition is a moment where everything pivots where everything changes everything that happened before that turns in a moment, in an event, and is then defined by that event. December 6, 1997 was a pivotal date for me. More than a date, it was an event. It's my wedding. And everything changed that day. That day uh, seemed to seal all of the events that, that led up to it and, and seemed to set the course for everything that would come after it. My life pivoted in that event. You understand. You understand what 
what a pivot is, what a pivotal moment is. We experience them individually and we experience them collectively as a, as a family, as a, as a church, as a nation. But regardless of, of whatever that pivotal moment was, that pivotal event in your life, in our nation's life, Regardless of the importance of those moments, they all pale in comparison to the pivotal event of the resurrection. They pale in comparison to the impact of the resurrection. The disciples, they had spent three years with Jesus, walking with him. They had eaten with him. They had been taught by him. They'd seen him on the cross that morning when they learned of the resurrection that day when they saw the resurrected Christ it changed everything for them the resurrection became the content of their preaching the emphasis of their lives if we were to look ahead into the book of Acts and see the story of the early church being built by the power of the Spirit and on the backs of the preaching of the apostles, what we would find if we studied those sermons throughout the book of Acts is that the content of their preaching, the preaching that built the church, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These disciples were so transformed that they preached Christ resurrected Jesus built his bride around it. So why? Why was the resurrection so pivotal for them? Two words. Victory and validation. Victory and validation. We, we see in, in verse 1, uh, in, a, in a subtle way, a, a sense of the magnitude and and power of Christ's victory over the grave, the power of God that rose him from the grave. Verse 1 opens up here, and, and it says quite simply that Mary Magdalene and, and the other Mary, they went to see the tomb. What do you think they expected to see there? A tomb. They expected there to be a dead body because death is final. They and we live in practical denial of the supernatural. They had seen all of, of Jesus' miracles, but they lived as if this is purely a natural world. They didn't show up that morning wondering, what if? What if he rose again? No, they went and expected a body because they and we know that death is real, it is painful, it is the ultimate enemy. At the risk of sounding trivial, I, I want to draw an analogy from college football because that's just what we seem to know best around here. Do you know that regardless of which team you root for, you're going to celebrate all victories, but some victories just mean more, right? The larger teams, they have a full schedule. But everybody knows that on that schedule, there are some games that we just call paycheck games. They, they bring a vastly unmatched school in because they need, to, they need to sell some seats. They need to round out a schedule. 
Everybody knows what's happening there. The school that comes, comes in order to get beaten and receive a paycheck. And, and yes, the home team, they, they celebrate that victory, but when they think about those victories that shape their, the culture of their school, their team, that's not what they look on. Because for a victory to be true, it's got to be against a worthy adversary, a worthy opponent, and a well-fought fight. Those are the, the victories that we celebrate. Those are the pivotal wins that shape our collective culture. The ladies, they went to the tomb that day expecting a body because death always wins. They had seen Jesus die. They had seen him placed in the tomb. And they knew that death was the ultimate victory until that morning. Until that morning when Jesus rose in victory, until Jesus defeated death once and for all. And it was no match. This was a blowout win. Verse 2 speaks of the angel who came down that day, an angel clothed in white, with a brilliant appearance that was like lightning. His presence sent the, the hardened guards into a catatonic state. And so why was the angel there? I'll tell you why he was not there. He was not there because Jesus needed CPR. He was not there because Jesus was waiting inside that tomb, hoping that somebody would let him out. The angel was a messenger. The angel had not come to let Jesus out. The angel had come to let the ladies in. Because the tomb, the grave, could not contain our Savior. The angel came to testify to this victory and to give the ladies access to the empty tomb and in so doing to point them and us to the Savior. The resurrection is pivotal because Jesus won the victory. The ultimate lasting victory against the ultimate adversary. And in doing so, his resurrection served to validate all that he had said and done. Did you hear verse 6? You hear the words of the angel. He's not here. For he's risen as he said. As he said. It wasn't, wasn't a rebuke. Weren't you listening? It was, it was an invitation to come and to believe. I think I've shared before with you the story of my freshman roommate. I had a freshman, a roommate my freshman year in college, Andy. He was a good friend. I loved him. We, um, we had a lot of uh, good times together, but I'll be honest with you, there were moments when I just had a hard time believing some of the things he said. Because he talked, Andy grew up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and he would tell me these stories of mountain climbing, of rodeoing, of of uh, canoeing rivers, of elk hunting, of spending days riding horses on uh, vast mountain ranges. And, and it all just sounded like exaggeration. He was trying to make himself 
look good. And, and so I loved him, but, but I just thought, hey, that's a little bit of hyperbole here. Until I visited one day. Went out to see him, and all of the things he talked about, we did. <laughs> and seeing became believing. Now, I believed every word that he had told me because I had seen and experienced. Jesus told the disciples who he was. Jesus told the disciples what he would do in clear terms. He spoke of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection, but it didn't register with them. They loved him. They enjoyed his presence. They believed he was a good teacher, but perhaps they too thought that Jesus was given over to hyperbole. Maybe it was a metaphor. Until they saw. They saw with their own eyes. When they saw with their own eyes, the eyes of their hearts were opened. And it validated for them and for us everything that he had said. Victory and validation. Two powerful theological truths that we find in the resurrection. For them, for us. And they realized it. They realized these theological truths from the resurrection. Victory and validation. But they didn't say to themselves, something that's interesting. I think I'll go write an academic paper. No, it changed their lives. It changed the direction of their lives. It changed everything for them. Because these two profound theological truths were intensely personal truths. With personal application. Matthew's account, we see the deep connection between the pivotal events, the pivotal truths of of the resurrection and the very personal reality, reality of resurrection and grace. It's a brief but, but important point. Remember what the angels, or the angel sent the ladies to do? To go tell the disciples. But along the way, Jesus came to them. Jesus was always coming to them. Jesus was always initiating every encounter between Jesus and the disciples and Jesus with others after the resurrection was initiated by Jesus. Jesus sought them out every time. And here he comes to these ladies and greets them warmly. This word, greetings, makes me smile. Can you imagine can you imagine Jesus, recently victorious over death, and greeting you? With simple, warm, personal greetings. We talked about the contours of the week. How about the contours of that morning? The ladies went to the tomb that morning expecting a dead body, and now they're greeted by a resurrected Savior who had sought them out. Beautiful as that is, there's something that we need to see that's maybe even more subtle. The angel sent the ladies to go speak to the disciples, but in verse 10, Jesus calls them brothers. A disciple is a student. There's a certain relationship that exists between a student and a teacher. But here, the teacher calls the student brothers. It's a description of 
pointing to their adoption into Christ. This, again, is a deep theological truth that in Christ we are adopted into the family of God with a new familial relationship, but more than a theological truth. This is a term of endearment. Jesus is speaking about his brothers. But even more than that, do you remember the last encounters that Jesus had with these family members? They were running away from him. They were abandoning him, denying him. And now Jesus, the resurrected Savior, is moving towards them. Jesus has just won the ultimate victory. But here in this encounter, we see the priority that he has in light of that victory. Restoration of relationships. Jesus is seeking to restore what was broken and make it whole. That's the point of this meeting in Galilee. It's not so Jesus can go and do a victory dance and say, I told you so. No. It's about restoration. And it's all of grace. Jesus was the offended party. Jesus was the one who was abandoned, but he takes the initiative. He moves towards them to draw them into relationship with him. Friends, that's what Jesus did for them. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus comes to us. Jesus initiates with us. And he's still the offended party. We abandon him constantly, either due to fear or pursuit of a multitude of lesser desires. And yet he initiates a work of grace moving towards us that you and I might share in his victory over death and be called brothers and sisters. That's right. The resurrection is so much more than a past tense story. It's a very real, present tense reality. So why is Jesus' resurrection so pivotal for us? Well, ultimately, the answer is the same. Because the meaning is the same. Victory and validation. Some of us are here this morning, and we've been walking faithfully with Jesus for years. Some of us are here because we're curious. Some possibly even skeptical. But the miracle of the resurrection speaks to all of us, wherever we find ourselves this day. And the miracle of the resurrection that was affirmed by the witnesses that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 as as being the ladies and the disciples and and even a multitude of 500 people who are still alive and whose, whose testimony could not be refuted. The miracle of the resurrection that could not be refuted is the miracle that affirms all of the miracles of Scripture. It is the miracle that affirms the entirety of the Word of God. Wherever you are this day in relation to Jesus, know that His victory over death validates the Word of God. You can find confidence in the Word because the Word rose from the grave. But also, this resurrection is pivotal for us because His victory is a shared victory victory 
1 Peter 1, 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This Peter who denied Jesus, this Peter who was restored by Jesus, this Peter who would later go to his death for his testimony in Christ. As Peter spoke of the victorious life that you and I have, the newness of life, through the re- Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection, and that means that you and I can live victoriously in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to live victoriously in Christ? Ironically, even in some Christian circles, the victorious life gets perverted. It gets misused to describe living that actually looks like holding a tighter grip on the things of this world. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes the wealthiest people, those who appear for all the world to see to be living the victorious life, they can be the unhappiest? Because far too often they spend their lives afraid of losing what they have. But when we know that what we have is not all there is, well, then we don't have to hold with hold our possessions with this white-knuckled fear, afraid to lose them. What if instead the victorious living looked like a looser grip on the things of this world and a tighter grip on Jesus? What if victorious living looked less like material abundance and more like focus on Jesus? Last Sunday, Scotty Scheffler won the Masters. It was his fourth PGA victory in six weeks. Not a bad run, huh? And over the course of that time, he received or earned the number one ranking in the world. So you might think that if anyone had reason for confidence coming into the final round of the Masters, it would be the number one golfer in the world who's coming off of three prior wins and has a three-stroke lead. You would think that. But did you hear his press conference? See, this press conference, Scotty Scheffler described the victorious living. We saw it there and not at his trophy ceremony. There's a press conference when he was asked about the evening before and the morning of the event. He, he said that he was in his, his room crying like a baby because he just told his wife, I don't think I'm up to this. I don't think I can hold on. I fear that I'm going to be exposed before the watching world. That victory meant so much to him. At that point, his wife spoke into his struggles. She said, who do you think you are to claim responsibility over what goes on this day with the gift that God has given you? 
God gave you the gift of golf, and God is in charge of what happens with that gift. Now, lest one think that Scotty's wife is naming and claiming a victory at Augusta, he went on to describe the impact of her words. She was claiming freedom from the tyranny of results. Because that day had no power to define who he was. Shepherd then talked about the freedom and the peace that came over him when he realized that whether he went out and won his fourth victory in six weeks or whether he blew the lead, shot in 82, and was exposed before the watching world, that his call, regardless of the results, was to bring glory to his God. I won't assume all that that meant for him, though everything I've seen seems to affirm his words, but for us, I believe that it is a call to victorious living defined by a loose grip on the things of this world. I recently heard that the best way to make a wise decision is to get yourself to a point where you are emotionally ambivalent between two outcomes. That you can hold them with an equal desire. Philippians 1 21, the Apostle Paul says that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, that is the definition of victorious living. To hold loosely the things of this world and to hold with a death grip our risen Savior. Focused on Him regardless of circumstances. Talked about the contour of the week. I've experienced that contour myself personally started Monday morning as I sat in my chair and attempted to have a devotional quiet time. And it was just distracting, distracted. I asked the elders to pray for me, and they did. They do that, by the way. The elders prayed for me and I tried to meditate more on the cross of Christ and there were moments throughout the week where the focus came but even that focus at times was misguided my head was jumbled and unsure and then Friday I took a break from my studies it was and is my normal rhythm to take a break from the study and to go walk my dog and to listen to a sermon because preachers need preaching and there, another brother in Christ pointed me to Jesus. Pointed me to the person of Jesus. Began to more fully see him. And more fully see that over the course of the week, I had been focused on the doctrine of the resurrection rather than the resurrected Savior. Now don't get me wrong, the doctrine of the resurrection is beautiful and true and we need to hear it. Victory and validation are important for us, just as it was for them. But victory and validation point us to the risen Savior. They point us to Jesus. I began to reflect on the week. The truth is, Jesus experienced abandonment from them and from me. Jesus was forsaken by me. And because he was forsaken by me, he was forsaken by God. Because of my sin. 
Jesus took on the wrath of God for me on the cross, for me. Jesus experienced the pain and loneliness of hell. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus burst forth from the grave for me. In light of all of my sin, the resurrected Jesus pursued me, initiating relationship with me by His grace alone. This is personal. And the fruit of the doctrine that we've been talking about, the fruit of the doctrine of the resurrection points me to relationship with the resurrected Savior. And that is the definition of victorious living. Do you feel the weight of this week? Do you see that everything Jesus experienced this week was because of and for you? Now, do you feel his pursuit, his initiating gracious pursuit of you? Do you feel his love for you? If so, then that is the work of His grace. He initiates it. So then do you know what we do with that? We receive it. We receive it. That's the beauty of the gospel. Our sin sent Him to the cross. It was for our sin that He bore the wrath of God. He took it all as our substitute. That we might have the newness of life. We simply receive it. By faith alone. Brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the gospel. This is the work of Christ. This is the relationship that he initiates. And this is his definition of victorious living. Receive him. Receive his salvation. Receive his love. Father, you, you are wise, you are holy. Your purpose cannot be thwarted. And you have written a gospel story that, that man would not be audacious enough to craft. It's the truth of the Savior who died in our place and rose to secure our life. I pray this day that we would all hear and know and embrace the new and victorious life that is given to us in Him. For His glory and in His name we pray.